Welcome to Traveling Down, Biblical Archaeology for the 21st Century. I'm Gary Byers. We have our resident rock star, Dr. Stephen Collins, and we are in the TSU Museum of Archaeology and Biblical History. Pretty cool place. And we're, uh, it, the room's full, over 500 artifacts here, hundreds more that we don't have displayed here. It's an amazing place here in Albuquerque. And if you ever come through Albuquerque, let us know. We'd love to give you a tour of the museum. Well, we're, we're right in front of a case of material, all of it from the Tal al-Hammam excavation. Um, before we get to the, the main event, just point out some of the things you'd like everybody to see. Well, you can see, I mean, some of these things are pretty recognizable, right? There's a bowl. Oh, yeah. Notice that it does, this material uh, pretty much all comes from the de final terminal destruction layer at the site, which would be, in our book, the destruction of the city of Sodom. About 1700 BC. BC. So you notice this bowl and the, and the burned marks on it. Ooh. And that's probably not, this is not a cooking pot. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's this not. is a serving bowl, but you can see how burned it is. And uh, here's another vessel right here. By the way, this one's pretty fancy. You can see it actually has what's called a triple loop or a triple handle base, where it has three little loops on the bottom. But you can see how painted it is. It's beautifully painted. It's polished or burnished. And it's also severely burned, and you can see places around it where the burn has happened. So it was subjected to fire as well. Here's a big cooking pot down here in the bottom, and this is a, a middle Bronze Age cooking pot from that destruction layer. And you can see now it's got a lot of soot on it. That's not prob probably from the destruction of the city. That's probably from... Cooking. Having cooked several meals over a, over a fire. So that's important. And we have a, a, a grindstone. Some people call these sling stones. I guess if you sling it at somebody, it's a sling stone. If you grind some vegetables or nuts with it, it's a, it's a grindstone. Yeah. But, um, and then we have several other pieces of stuff. We have some melted pottery. Look at this piece of pottery right here. The surface of it is melted, boiled up into glass. And you can see that there's the natural surface toward me. There's a, a, just the natural or the unburned surface. Mm -hmm. So you can see that if you put that all back together, it was only burned on one side. It was only exposed to heat on one side, which is interesting. And we've got three different pieces there that have yeah. parts of all that. But then there's this one right here. It says number eight right there, yeah. Danny. And of course, That's pretty cool. And of course, they're physically, these two here, the greenish glass that's on the surface of them is, is very similar to that one there, which you can see the, the greenish glass. Number eight. Okay. And what's interesting is that that number eight glass is called uh, melt glass or trinitite from the first atomic bomb explosion. Which didn't happen too far from here. Right, down in Alamogordo, New Mexico, just... Uh, few clicks down the road here. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the reason we have that there and this here is because we now know through the analysis uh, uh, of many, many scientists who've examined this and put it through a lot of tests that the 
physical event that produced this is the same kind of heat level that produced this. So this is thousands and thousands of degrees to produce this atomic explosion produced glass, which is very similar to this. It has the same properties as some of these melted potsherds that we're finding on our site. Anyway, we'll do another little podcast on that one. Yes, that's important. But, stuff. but that's kind of what's in the case here with that. But this, this is all from the destruction of the city of Sodom. But there's one interest, by the way, here's some grain. Can you see it? Those are not mouse droppings. Yeah, that's barley. It's carbonized barley here uh, from there. And look at this. This is, this is a salt grain, this white looking thing. This is salt crystal. This is actually anhydride dead sea salt, but it didn't come from the dead sea. It came from Tal al-Hammam, from the destruction layer. And we have lots of evidence that the area uh, took on a lot of salt. Probably from the Dead Sea. From the Dead Sea. But how did it get from the Dead Sea to where the city is? About eight miles in, in length uh, and distance. And that has something to do with this explosive event, cosmic event that took place that destroyed the city about 3,700 years ago. So anyway. But um, so these are some just everyday living items from the city and but this is the one we're kind of interested in and this this is really really special so we, we have a jar here uh inside th this big storage jar i see a little juglet there and then and the jar is smashed yes yes we put it back together best we could best we it. could and we still have the there's some of it we couldn't get in the case so we still have it, but it just, if we put the whole thing together, it wouldn't fit. So we put it in here as best we could. So you can see the rim. Here's the base of it down under here. So we can see the rim and the neck and the shoulder. But inside the jar is what's interesting. Inside the jar, we have a little juglet, piriform juglet, not unlike this one up here. This one doesn't have the neck and the handle. This one does. And so here we have uh, the rim, the neck, the handle, and uh, so a little jar. Now, why is that jar, little juglet, inside the bigger jar? Because this was a very special big jar. This was an infant burial. This is an infant burial. Now, the bones of the infant are right in the center. You see the bones right there. And then right below that, we have carbonized olive, probably olive branch. And that must have been, and this was inside, you know, with the little piriform juglet. Now, what was in the juglet? We don't know. Could have been olive oil, could have been perfume, could have been some kind of, some other kind of uh, fragrant liquid, okay, as an offering. And this could have been an offering as well. And then we have a piece of an oven. We call them taboon, the Arabic word for oven, taboon. We have a piece of an oven. Now, also there was a shell bead. Mm. And the shell bead is not here. It has gone 
to uh, a Santa Fe Labs, uh, New Mexico Scientific Labs up in Santa Fe uh, for some off-gas radiocarbon analysis. And, uh, but anyway, uh, which by the way does not destroy the bead, which is why we did it for that yeah. particular thing. Yeah. And so why do we have a bead, a shell bead, a piece of, a, of an oven, a, an olive branch, a little juglet full of liquid in a bigger jar with the skeleton of an infant. And this infant is probably around birth shortly thereafter. Uh, here is, uh, now we call it a theory, but we know pretty well this is what, because this is not uncommon. Yes. In the Canaanite period, and that's what we're talking about here, the Middle Bronze Age. It was very, very common, especially when building a building, adding a room, to sacrifice an infant, put it in a jar, and bury it beneath the floor of the house to bless it. Some blessing. Because all of these things were deposited as, as a sacrifice as an offering, sacrificial offering, including the child. Now, some people will say, well, perhaps it was a, it was a stillborn child. That these, no, a stillborn child wouldn't be a sacrifice. It would have died a natural birth, died at birth a natural death. This probably is not natural because the whole thing, the whole thing constitutes yeah an offering to a deity, to a god, to a pagan god. And so that's what this represents. But the other, inter other interesting thing that it represents is this, I believe, was our first positively confirmed resident of biblical Sodom. It was a, it was a child sacrificed by his parents in order to uh, build a, a, a room onto the house or build a new remodel of the house. This was the way they blessed the house with this sacrifice. And so, by the way, in antiquity, why was the sacrifice of a, of a child, a, a baby, why was that a sacrifice at all? Why was it such a sacrifice? Because people didn't have one, two, three kids. They would have the average woman, the average woman in antiquity, and I'm talking about from remote antiquity, the Neolithic period, down through the Roman period, even into the Byzantine period, the average woman in antiquity died between age 25 and 30 of complications from her 10th to 12th pregnancy. And she would have in her lifetime 10, 12 children most of them, if she had 10 children, two of them might survive, maybe three. The rest would perish before they were age two. This is just the statistics that we know from the ancient world. Now, um, that makes the sacrifice of a living child very, very high in value. And that's why they were done. So 
since most of your children were going to die naturally, to sacrifice a child that may have lived to a deity, to a, to a pagan deity, was a, a high sacrifice, which is why the God would accept it because it was such a high sacrifice. Small, compact, but extremely weighty in terms of the family, especially yes. the mother. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, now the interesting thing about this child burial is it was not found under the floor. Well, we call it a burial, and it would have been buried. But it wasn't, and we have some thoughts why. It was on the floor. In fact, the jar in the destruction of the city, uh, the jar was kind of rolled and smashed in place. But on the floor, it had never been installed in the floor. Now look, look at the picture. Here you have a jar. The child has been placed in the jar. The little juglet has been placed in the jar. The olive branch is in the jar. The taboon is in the jar, the bead is in the jar, the child, everything is there, ready to dig a hole, chop a hole in the floor, and inter this offering in the floor. It never happened. It never happened because the destruction of the city, the fiery destruction from out of the sky, destroyed the city before this offering could be installed under the surface of the floor. Now that's, this is, so this represents not just a moment in, in culture, but a, an important moment in time that's associated with a, in Genesis 19, the biblical destruction of a city that had, according to God, in, in the Old Testament, particularly the book of Ezekiel chapter 16, had a city that had done detestable things in the sight of God. It's a pretty um, sobering look and really sobering thought. And by the way, yes. Yeah, and by the way, uh, those those things. The reason God destroyed Sodom, here, here's what He says: because you were arrogant, wealthy, overfed, did not take care of the poor and needy, and you did detestable things. Well, certainly, this sacrifice of children was one of the detestable things that they had done in the city of Sodom. Yeah, we, we, we focus on the immorality, but uh, God but said God there's a He didn't yeah, bring that up. A lot of other issues yeah. that were the problems with that society. Yeah. Well, this is really a, um, a, a, almost a sacred moment when you think about what this really means. And... Uh, and God doesn't play around with us. He, uh, he gives us a lot of grace and in some sense almost a rope to hang ourselves and we ultimately live with the consequences of our decisions and our choices. And of course, this little one didn't have the choice, but uh, the adult family certainly did. Well, archaeology, sometimes we find things that we just jump up and down in excitement other times we find things that just cause us to pause when you contemplate what this really does represent. Right, and this is one of those moments where you look at this, you think of the situation, of course you think of the individual, 
and what he or she may have been yeah. in life. And so, um, and the parents and the family and what kind of life they had. So all of these things come back to make us ask questions and to try to delve deeper into the culture to try to understand as best we can what went on in the past. And when we understand what went on in the past, we try to make some application to our own world, our own lives in the present and for the future. And so that's one of the parts of archaeology. We love history, but we should be able to take what we know from history and use it and learn in our lives. I forgot the British politician who said, those that don't learn the lessons of history are destined to repeat them. And we well, certainly don't want to repeat this. No. No, that kind of behavior is not what we want to see in our lives, in our families, in our world. Well, this is all part of archaeology. This is troweling down archaeology for the 21st century and back to the 18th century, but this is our world. We're glad to share it with you. Thanks for tuning in with us.